Well, it is absolutely lovely to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Laura. My uh, surname is Wife of Andy. So uh, I am Laura, Wife of Andy. Uh, I volunteer here at the church in the youth ministry. Um, I work for Youth for Christ. I'm the director of church resources there. And this morning I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit, particularly about this idea of generations, of uh, what does it look like for God to be doing something new in a different generation and how do we as wider generations respond to that. Uh, but I would like to begin by maybe asking a couple of questions. And I would love you to ask yourself these questions. If God was doing something new in this nation, would you know? Would you recognize it? What would that look like? If God was doing something new in this nation, how would the church respond? How would this church respond? And also, uh, if if that looked like something in a younger generation, a new generation, looking different, doing things differently, how do we keep an unchanging message of God when the methods might need to change in order to reach them? And so these are some of the questions that we're going to be wrestling with and talking through this morning. If you're a visitor here this morning, uh, our heart is that each generation fulfills its calling in God. And we are for every generation. And so we want to spend some time thinking about what does it look like, particularly with young people, for us to help them to be all that they can be in this nation. Uh, there's a really uh, great story in the Bible that illustrates this well. Um, I'll, I'll read it to you in a second. Um, it's around three guys. So if you don't normally come to church, don't worry, I'll try and give you a kind of brief overview of the story. Uh, for those of you who do come to church regularly, uh, it's the story of three men, uh, David, uh, Samuel, and Saul. Now, David is a young boy. Uh, he is a shepherd. He looks after sheep. Saul is a king. He is the king of Israel at the time. It's a story in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And then there's a guy called Samuel. And the role of Samuel is that he's a prophet. And what that means is that he listens to the voice of God. So his role is to hear what God is doing in a nation. And so Samuel is spending some time with God. And God says to Samuel, you know the king Saul? It's, his time has gone. It's now time for us to start doing something new in this nation. Rising, raising up a new generation. Someone who is from a different culture and from a different culture and generation to take his place. And so Samuel says, okay, God, well, what do you want me to do? God sends Samuel to this guy Jesse's house. Because God says it's one of this, this guy's kids. So there's this line of sons. Uh, and the first one and the oldest steps forward. And God says, no, it's not him. So he kind of steps back. The next one, no, it's not him either. It's not him either. It's not him. That, it's not that one. And this continues until they begin to realize that God is doing something different and unexpected in this moment. You see, what happened is God saw someone who was unexpected, who was different from the, the, the generation that had gone before, had different uh, giftings to the leadership that was currently in charge, and said, I am calling this boy David. Now, David was a shepherd. So he was out in the fields looking after sheep and goats and fighting big animals, and that's kind of how he did his thing. That was his culture, very different from the king that existed at the time. And God said, I want to take his culture. I want to use his experience. I want to use his heart for me and do something new. And the amazing thing was that all of this came into play in the moment that David was for beginning to fulfill the purposes for his life. There's a moment, uh, and I'll read it in a second, where there are two armies facing each other. There's the Israelite army and the Philistine army. And Saul the king is there, and there's this massive, massive warrior, uh, Goliath, who comes out and says, okay, if one of you guys fight me, then we'll sort the battle that way. And they've been sat for ages, at which point 
David turns up. And it's at this point that his culture and his background begins to impact his nation. So this is 1 Samuel 17. I'm starting at 32. Uh, Feel free to relax and listen to my dulcet tones. Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. It's dark. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The God who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. You see, his culture had prepared him for his calling, and his calling was to impact a nation. But he could not have done that on his own. You see, he could only do that because the older people around him fulfilled their role too. You see, the role of of the older generations in this was to listen to God and to perceive what God was doing. It was to speak the purposes of God over this this young man and to say, this is what God is calling you to. And if you're uh, in this room and you're under 18 and you're a young person, I want you to know that David had a role to play in this too. Because he had to listen to the guys that were older than him, respect their authority and their wisdom, and spend some real time with God in order for him to fulfill his calling. You know, the interesting thing is in this, that it began to go slightly wrong when the older generation, when Saul expected David to lead like him, to be like him, to act and to fight and to do things in the way he did. So the very next verse in this Uh, Verse 38 says this, so David's going out to fight. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword to it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd not worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and his sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Do you know the battle was still the same? The war was still the same. The, the goal was still the same, but the methods had to be different when David was fighting it. And Saul had to release him into that. And it was only when those generations worked together that the nation was truly impacted in the way that God intended it to be. It is not hard to imagine that youth culture has changed a lot in the last few years. Um, I, for one, really do believe that. And change can be difficult and it can be tough. Um, It can be hard to accept. It can be hard to understand. And the best example I've heard of understanding and accepting and managing change is around a change in wind. So... um, Many years ago now, I went out and worked in Greece for three months. It was a very difficult time for me, very stressful, as you can imagine. Spent had a great tan by the end of it. Um, and when I was out there, I got to do all these things. They actually qualified me to drive speedboats. Now, if anyone knows me, they should never have let me anything, anywhere near anything with that much responsibility. But for some reason, they thought I could do it. Uh, and so towards the end of this thing, they let me take this catamaran out on my own. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a catamaran is, basically like two bananas in the sea with a sail on top. And um, I kind of, and my friend got on this catamaran and um, I had the rope that was at one end 
I'm sorry for anyone who I'm mortally offending here who understands sailing. Um, a rope up this end, and my friend had another rope at this end, and I think it was a mistake that we were holding separate ropes to start off with. But I had this rope, and um, I was, I don't know, pulling it. And we were going along, and it was fine until we reached Windy Corner. Now, the wind at Windy Corner, it was not badly named. It was, oh, it was just this massive gust of wind. Now, I'm very cool and calm, so I screamed, and I dropped the rope, and the whole sail like swung round, the catamaran capsized, my friend was dangling upside down by her leg, which had got caught in a strap like this. This boat had to come out and rescue us, cut her out, I had bruises everywhere, it was a nightmare. Now, that change in wind was unexpected, and I dealt with it very badly. You can deal with change where you just panic, let go of everything, and just freeze. Or, you can begin to understand the wind, learn how it works, and use it, and adjust the sails so that the boat goes to where you want it to go, because the wind is carrying it forwards. And so this morning, I want to spend some time doing that with you guys. I want to spend some time talking about metaphorical wind. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about maybe some characteristics of youth culture that we can begin to understand, grasp, grapple with in order to use the wind to raise a generation to fulfill their purpose and calling of God in this nation. Is that okay? Great. I will take your small mumbles as a, as a big fat yes. Um, so as I mentioned previously, uh, I work for Youth for Christ and in December we did a whole load of research. Um, we asked just over 1,000 11 to 18 year olds a whole load of questions uh, around four areas and I'm going to share some of the, the sort of responses with you this morning. It's interesting. Some of it's not surprising. Some of it's really surprising. But I think it's great to begin to really grasp this and understand this as we think about engaging with generations as a church. So first up, we ask questions around culture. Uh, where do young people like to spend time? What do they like to do? So we ask them the question, which activities and hobbies do you enjoy doing in your spare time? So the first big yellow circle, that says watching YouTube videos. And that is at 81%. 77% of young people said they enjoyed watching TV and films. 74% of young people said using social media. 73% uh, of young people said spending time with their friends. 61% of young people said gaming. Uh, then we go through in the sports and exercise and reading and music, and they kind of filter down. Now, if you are interested in finding out about this research and seeing more of it, uh, that you can access that online. It's uh, wearec.uk forward slash rethinking culture. You can view it there, or do come and get that uh, from me at the end. But these are kind of some of the ideas and questions that we were looking at. So we then ask them, okay, of those activities, how often do you do each of these activities and hobbies? Now, unsurprisingly, 94% uh, of young people go on social media daily. 77% um, of young people um, engage with music in some way daily. 75, so three quarters of young, the young people asked, uh, engage with YouTube on a daily basis. 73% of young people like reading. And 73% of young people engage in gaming on a daily basis. So we then asked which of the following is your favorite place to spend your time. So those are the things, where are the places? 32% said they like being outside with friends. 31% said in a home with friends. 24% uh, then said on the internet, so in a virtual space. 6% said a club or activity group not related to school. 3% said somewhere else. 2% said a club or activity group related to school. And 2% then said in a youth club. Now, interestingly, we asked the question, what or who are the top three things that make you feel bad about yourself? 67% of young people said social media, 41% said their friends, and 40% said YouTubers. 
Now, what's interesting about that is that those are the places that young people also said they spend most of their time. So what does it mean that the favorite things that young people do, and for you guys largely in this area that are under 18, you need to think about this as well. Um, what does it mean to be really you know, wise and thinking through, if this is where I spend my time, what effect does that have on me? And for us as an older generation, how do we work with them and support them in that? You know, uh, young people are part of a very different culture. They're known for their profile more than their personality. Uh, if you're in a youth, if you're in a year group at school, someone won't take the time to get to know you. They'll just look at your profile on social media and your social media footprint. That's why social media is so important to young people. How do we, as an older generation, help young people to have and be able to build really intimate relationships that are face-to-face -face and not thumbs-to-thumbs, -thumbs, and yet at the same time understand that the connection that they have is incredible? That actually it's a real uh, space for collaboration, an amazing opportunity to share their faith. And yet, it seems to affect young people in a negative way as well. We also looked at influence. So what influences young people? Who influence young people? And again, the findings were really, really interesting. Um, we asked, as well as asking what makes you feel bad about yourself, we're also interested in good things for young people. So we asked them what makes you feel good about yourself. What are the top three things? 93% of young people uh, said their friends, 92% of young people said their family, and then I think it was 24% of young people was a tiny yellow circle that said music. But family are very close behind friends in this, and I think one of the things that surprised us was the influence that family have over young people. You know, 59% of the young people that we asked said that family was the number one thing that made them feel good about themselves. And so if you're in a family, if you have children, if you know families, if you are part of a church family, what does it mean for us to have that much influence over young people and what they think of each other? What does it, make, what does it mean for us as church family and, and households to support and grow each other in, uh, in, in faith and in encouraging them? Okay, so we then asked another question. How important are the following things to you? And we gave them a massive list. The top thing uh, that the young people said was that making their families proud of them was the most important thing that they, they felt was in their lives. We... Um, we asked young people as well, do you believe in God? Uh, we'll come to that a little bit later. But of the percentage that said that they do believe in God, we then found that 73% of young, family, uh, young people sorry, said family were the things that influenced their faith or religion the most. Isn't that incredible? That you, you as a family member, as a church family member, have the opportunity to influence what young people think and believe about spirituality. The next thing was around teachers. 36% uh, of young people said that it was teachers that influenced the way they think about faith and religion. And that will be on a par with their friends. Interestingly, there was a piece of research that was done uh, that also said, uh, called uh, Passing on the Faith, where 40% of parents said they talked to, to their children about faith, but only 34% of people, um, that for 34% of, of parents said that they thought that social media and technology had more influence over what their children thought about faith than they did. Isn't that interesting that young people would say that 73% of them would say it's my family, but families just don't seem to understand the weight that their words carry, the example that they are, and the inspiration that they can be. I think that's a huge question for us as a church. We then asked young people about their priorities. Uh, this is the question that was asked before. How important are the following things to you? So number one was making their families proud. The second answer was feeling that they have achieved something that matters with their life. So 76% of young people said that. 
In your own life, what are the top three things that you're most worried about? 54% of young people said school and exams, which isn't that surprising. But if you couple that with the desire and the need to make their families proud of them, that becomes more interesting. Um, 33% of young people said their appearance, and then 30% said what other people think of them. Again, two areas that are hugely fed by social media. And so what are the effects that social media has on our young people? We then asked them on a bigger scale, what are the top three things that you're most worried about in the whole world? Um, and this was in December, before uh, all of the kind of stuff that's gone on recently uh, in our nation. 51% of young people said war and terrorism was the thing they were most worried about. Then 38% said poverty and 24% said racism. We asked them the question, if you had a chance, which of the following would you like to change for the better? 54% of young people said war and terrorism. 41% of young people said poverty and people being poor. 28% of young people said homelessness. 20, um, and then below that, we can see animal welfare, 22% of racism, 20% the environment. This is a uh, generation who wants to make a positive difference. But when we asked them if you could improve one thing in your life, what would it be? The highest answer by a mile was that 25% of young people that said that they, they would love to know what to do with their lives. They're a generation who are passionate about making a difference but just don't know what to do. What does it mean for a generation to speak purpose over young people? To say you have been created for a reason. God wants to know you. God has given you a gift set and a purpose to fulfill in this nation. We then ask questions around religion and faith. We ask the young people, which of the following, if any, do you believe in? 32% of young people said that they believe in God, 22% said that they believe in ghosts and spirits, and 47% of young people said that they didn't believe in either. Uh, we asked, uh, would you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and the Christian faith? 59% um, of young people did consider themselves a follower of the, G uh, the Christian faith, and 15% said that they were unsure. We asked uh, the guys uh, who were Christians, um, well, sorry, who said that they did believe in God, how often do you pray? 47% of them said that they pray once a day, 34% said once a week, and 16% said less than once a week. We asked all of the young people, um, what might make you think about faith and spiritual and God and spirituality? And you can see there was a whole load of questions there, of options they could have chosen in the coloured circles. But the biggest by far was the young people who said, I don't think about God or spirituality at all. And that was 35% of the young people we asked. We said, if you were invited to find out more about God, would you be interested? Again, this was to all the young people. 18% said that they would be interested. Now, that sounds like a low number, but if you think for every young person in this church, that's about one in six of their friends said that they would be interested in finding out more. That's actually not that discouraging, um, that one out of six of their friends are open to, to kind of finding out more about God. We asked the young people, uh, do you know anyone who's a Christian? 61% of people asked that they did know someone who was a Christian. And we asked them, well, can you describe them for me? They were really, really positive. But there was one comment that was made that really haunted us, and it was this one. They described the Christians that they knew as being normal like everyone else. Their faith doesn't change them. And that, for me, didn't sit okay. How do we be a church? How do we be a community that encourages young people to live differently, to look differently to the young people that are around them, to their friends, to be um, bold in their faith, be able to tell their friends not only that they go to church, but also that that God that they have a relationship with can make a difference? What is our role in that as the wider community? And so we, we ask these questions and we, we've wrestled with them. And I think as a church, uh, as a national church, we have a real responsibility to be um, 
a different voice when nationally things feel quite divided? How do we as a community, how do we as Life Central Church be a, a church that is behind all of the generations and helping all of the generations take their place? I uh, began this uh, little sharing time with a story about a battle, and I want to finish with another story. Um, I would like to take you back to the year 1513, uh, a long time ago, to a battlefield outside of Northumberland. Um, and there were two armies. This is called the Battle of Flodden. And there are two armies. There's a king's army. Uh, and the king's army has about 60,000 men. It has all the best weapons. It has this higher vantage point. Um, it was really strong. But there was a second army. And the second army was led by an earl who was 70 years old. He had 24,000 men, a much lower vantage point, and his weapons were nowhere near as good. On paper, you should know exactly who was going to win that battle. But the battle itself turned out quite unexpectedly. You see, what happened was that the earl realized that he could maneuver his army so that the king's army had to come down from their vantage point into unknown ground. The ground that they went into was marshy ground. It meant that they couldn't move. They were stuck. You know, when you lose movement and the ability to respond and the ability to move with the times, you really face a problem. And so this army became stuck where they were. And because they couldn't move, although they may have had better weapons, their weapons were useless because they were irrelevant. And so the king's army that day lost. It's thought that between, somewhere between 12 and 17,000 men died in the king's army. The king himself lost his life. And if that battle had been won, our nation would look very, very different today. You know, if we cease to be a movement, we become an institution how do we become a community that responds to the times, responds to the need that we see around us? That was why the king's army lost. The earl's army won. Do you know why they won? Because at their head was a 70-year-old man who had wisdom, who had experience, who had leadership gifting, who, although there were only 24,000 men behind him, said, I will follow you and I trust you. And it was that man's wisdom and experience that meant that the nation, that national history was changed. You know, at Life Central, we do not favor children or young people. We believe they have a crucial role to play in our nation. We believe that they shape culture. But we are about all of the generations. That their culture will help them fulfill their calling. And that our calling as a community and our calling as a church, as Life Central Church, is to impact this nation. So how do we be people who will release other generations into that. I'm going to pray um, just for a second, and then we're going to sing. Uh, and when we sing, it's a, it's a, a song uh, that I really love. And it's a song that says, do you know what? We have an unchanging God, a God whose message does not change. But some of the questions maybe we need to begin to wrestle with is with an unchanging God and a message that never changes. How do we use the methods in a slightly different way? I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, um, I thank you so much that you love us, whether old or young, with all the diversity that comes with humanity. Father, you love us and you have a purpose for each of us. Whether we're three or 203, God, you have a purpose and a plan for us. And God, I pray that we will be a community where generations come alive. Where we love each other and serve each other and get the best out of each other. 
Father, let us learn from each other. Let us be humble and yet invest. And so God, use us. Use us in this community to to shape our nation. God, we thank you that you are unchanging. We thank you, God, that you will never stop loving us. And we pray that you would give us wisdom in how to be more united together. So if you would like to stand, I would love to take this song as an opportunity really to just declare unity, to worship an unchanging God, and yet be a community that sees every generation reach their full potential.